your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. Uh, one other announcement that I forgot to make. Uh, we are going to have choir practice today. Uh, we're going to start uh, working on some music for missions conference. And so if you're in the adult choir, please um, remember after this afternoon we're going to uh, <clears throat> need to have choir practice, okay? Romans chapter 12, and I want to direct your attention to two verses, verses 1 and 2, this morning. The Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to talk to you this morning about the surrendered life or having a surrendered life to the Lord. And we find that thought or that aspect uh, in these two verses here. And we've been in Romans chapter 12 uh, for several weeks, and we've looked at several different things uh, in this chapter. We started in, in verse 3, where the Apostle Paul tells us how to think of ourselves in relation to God and to others. And he says in verse 3, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And the Apostle Paul addresses this subject of humility or a humble mind and a humble heart, and he says it, addresses it to every man that is among you. In other words, it's not uh, an issue that just a few people or personality types have to deal with. This is, this is part of the human condition. This is to all of you, all of us, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, than we ought to think. And so the implication is, what is natural for us to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to? And we're not a good judge of our own uh, situation. We're not a, a, a good judge of our own humility. And we need to look at the Word of God and examine it. And the tendency for us is to be proud or to think of ourselves more highly or more important than we really are. It's self-made. And that is a thing that we need to uh, remember and address. And so Paul, and, and to, to have the, well, I, that's, I, don't, I don't really have that kind of a problem. Well, there you go. You have the problem. I mean, it's self self uh, incriminating, right? Um, and so Paul addresses it, and it's necessary to address it. And one other thing that we need to remember about this chapter is that as we get into verse 4, which we did, and down through verse 21, Paul is laying out here um, how we ought to relate in love to others, especially in the church, the Lord's church, the local assembly. And he lays out for us um, a summary of duties that we have uh, toward one another. And so if you consider the whole chapter, it's really an exposition of the two great commandments that the Lord gave. To love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and then to love our neighbor as we would love ourselves. And 
So that's really the gist of chapter 12. But how do we, how do we really come about obeying or following these principles laid out in chapter 12 with a humble heart and then how we ought to relate in love one to another inside of the Lord's church? Well, I think the answer to that is found in verses 1 and 2, that we need to have a surrendered life to the Lord in order to fulfill all of these other things that Paul lays out in chapter 12. And so that's where we're going to go to. And Paul explains, first of all, why we should give ourselves to the Lord, why we should have a surrendered life to the Lord. And he says in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What I'm going to say to you now, brethren, Paul says, I'm saying to you on the basis of the mercy of God in your life. Because you have experienced God's mercy, you ought to surrender your life to Him. That's the idea that Paul is getting at here. And so we're going to talk about this surrendered life and what it involves. Break these two verses down, unpack them, make some applications. Prayerfully, uh, the Lord will use it uh, in your life and my life today. And so let's ask the Lord to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, teach us from your word today. And as we uh, study, as we consider its truth, Lord, I pray that every heart and mind would be surrendered and humble before you to, as was prayed earlier, align our life with truth, align our life with the word of God, be honest with ourselves and with the Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would use it uh, to strengthen and to challenge uh, the believers today. And Lord, I pray that your will is accomplished. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read these two verses again. And we're going to consider this surrendered life and what it involves. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The first thought here is in verse 1, in that the surrendered life, first of all, involves worship of God. It involves worship of God. Notice the wording of verse 1, where Paul tells us that yield, the yielding of our bodies to the Lord is our reasonable service. You see that in verse 1? He says, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That word reasonable, it comes from the same word from which we get our English word logic from. We think of something logically. We think of something reasonably. And so first, we see that yielding of our bodies to the Lord is something that's actually logical. And Paul says it's based on the mercy of God in your own life. Notice the word service here. It's your reasonable or logical service. The word service comes from the word which means to perform a sacred service. To perform a sacred service. It has the reference to the function of the Levites in the Old Testament. Out of the tribe of Levi came the priests that, that served in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, and then the temple uh, after it was built. And, and so the idea here is this reference 
Uh, it's your reasonable or logical service to perform a sacred service. Uh, it's connected to the idea of worship unto the Lord. And so the, the word picture here for us is that in this phrase that we're considering here, it means that yielding our bodies to the Lord is our logical service of worship unto God. And so we're talking about this surrendered life, having a surrendered heart and a surrendered life. It's logical for us to yield ourselves to the Lord, and it's, it's logical for us to do that because, listen, it's part of our worship unto Him. In other words, when we're totally yielded to Him, it's the highest form of worship that we can render to the Lord. I am yours. There's nothing about me that I'm withholding. I, I, I yield myself completely to the Lord. And he says, you present yourself, you present your body, a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is, is something that has absolutely no control over what happens to it. A sacrifice is something that is also completely used up. And the idea here is that my life and my body and my heart and my mind, I give it to the Lord and I surrender to it. Lord, you take it and use it all up. I have no say in it. I'm yours. Nothing says, I love you to the Lord like a consecrated, dedicated, holy life. Nothing says, I love you to the Lord like that. We can do all kinds of things. We can serve in the church, and I do this, and I do that. And we can look at all the things that we do and say, I do this because I love the Lord. But you know, all the things that we do don't mean a thing unless we first give ourselves to the Lord. Unless my life is fully surrendered to Him. For Him to do as he would want to do. And so we find that, first of all, the surrendered life involves the worship of God. It's your reasonable service. It's your reasonable, logical uh, worship before the Lord. Secondly, in verse 2, we find that the surrendered life involves the wisdom of God. In verse 2, in the first part, it says, "...and be not conformed." To this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here Paul moves from dealing with the body, yielding as a sacrifice, I'm, I'm yours. He moves from dealing with the body to dealing with the mind. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's the root of everything anyway. And what I mean by that is, when our thinking is right, then the body is going to follow along obediently. Does that make sense? We don't do without first thinking. Thinking uh, in the mind, and the mind tells the body what to do. And so, when the thinking is right, the body will obediently follow along. Regarding this, verse 2 gives us two commands. Notice them. He says, and be not conformed to the, this world. The first command is to shun the mold. And I say that because we're commanded here to be not conformed to this world. The word conform, it literally means to fashion or to shape. 
So be not fashioned or shaped like the world. It, 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 the idea behind it is literally a mold. And so Paul says in relation to this, that in the renewing of your mind, first of all, shun the mold. We're not to allow this world to squeeze us into its mold. We're not to allow the world to make us like it is. That's the idea here. Now, when he uses the the word world, he's talking about the age. He's not talking about dirt, physical earth. He's talking about the age. And the idea is, it's talking about the trends. It's talking about the values. It's talking about the philosophies or the fashions of this present age. And we're commanded by God to not be patterned after the world with its philosophies, with its morals, with its values, and with its pursuits. The child of God is to be distinctly different than the world. Now, it's very easy to be conformed or molded into the image or the thinking of the world in our own minds because this culture, I mean, with social media and with all the things that we're so involved in or that are so intertwined in our daily life, our mind and our thinking can very easily start to be swayed into the philosophies or the value system of this world. There are things, listen, that are happening in this world right now that... um, you know, we would say, oh, that's, that's just horrible. That's horrible that this is going on in the world right now. But, you know, things progress worse and worse. And this is the thing that is the, the, the present thing. But see, there were some things back here that we used to think were just like, oh, that's horrible. That's horrible. But it's become so commonplace. It's become so a part of the culture has been so ingrained in, in the thinking of the culture that as it's moved on over to these other things, all of a sudden these things aren't nearly as bad as we used to think they are. Or our thinking about it has changed. You follow what I'm saying? You understand what I mean? And what the Word of God in the Bible calls iniquity and sin, our mind has not stayed in tune or in line with that now our mind has been it's just been a little it's it's shaped a little bit differently in the way that we view it or see it now the world or the age it's satan's domain that's what the bible tells us look in second corinthians chapter four second corinthians chapter four and verse three 2 Corinthians 4, 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in unto them. The Bible tells us that the God of this world is Satan. The God of the age is Satan. And you know, you see this in the culture where culturally there also used to be things that were not acceptable. I'm not talking about Christian. I'm talking about in the world. Culturally, there used to be things that were not acceptable. Lifestyles that people would live that are not acceptable in culture, right? 
But as the world changes, and as the culture changes, all of a sudden, so does the thinking about these certain things. Like, it used to be called the alternative lifestyle, and that wasn't something socially acceptable in our culture. But now, all the lingo has changed, and all the thinking has changed, and now it's something people can't really help. It's something that they're born with, and so on. And if you actually study the Word of God, you'll find that that is not something that somebody is born with. God created us certain way it's a perversion of what god created and the culture has now embraced this and softened it and it even affects the minds of christian people oh well it's not really their fault they can't help it not so according to the word of god okay you follow what i'm saying here now there's still people they're still souls for whom Christ died, and they still can be saved. We have to remember that. But the way that Christian people think about things can sometimes start to be skewed, and our thinking and our mind get shaped and molded based on what the culture and what the world is presenting. Okay, you follow what I'm saying here? Paul says, be not conformed. Shun the mold to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we see this in the world. And those who are controlled by the world and its influences, listen, it's vastly different than what God intends for us to be. And so culturally now things are starting to become more acceptable because our, the thinking is all changing. The philosophies are all changing. Look in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. In verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and, to, and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What was part of the reason why we were saved and set free from our sin? To deliver us from this present evil world. And so the, the change that we need to make in our life, or what we need to remember is that our life that is lived as a Christian ought to be in distinct contrast to this evil age. And it, it certainly relates to the outward matters, but it primarily has to do with the way that we think. It means life as it's thought of, life as, that it's, as it's organized, the, the age, it's lived apart from God or the things of God with no reckoning of God, without being governed and controlled by God. That's the present age. And, and Paul says uh, to, to the Christian, don't be conformed or shaped and molded to the way of thinking that is not governed by God. So Paul says, don't be shaped or molded to the kind of godless thinking that characterizes people who don't have a knowledge of the eternal God. The world, the world is diametrically opposed to God. Or to avoid being squeezed into the world's mold, we need to be different. That's what Paul says, don't be conformed to the image of this world. So the first command is shun the mold. The second command is to shape the mind. But... But he says here, he says, but be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
the shaping of the mind, the command to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. The word transformed here, it, it gives us our English word metamorphosis. And so you get an idea of what it means to be transformed or ha- and having your mind renewed. A metamorphosis, it means a total change. It describes the transformation a caterpillar would go through to become a butterfly. It's something that is totally different, a complete change. It's the same word that is used when, uh, in Matthew chapter 17 regarding the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and we don't need to necessarily talk about that, but it, it gives us the idea here of something that is completely different, a total change. Now, the word renewing has the sense of a renewal, a renovation, but more importantly, it also has the meaning of a complete change for the better. A change for the better. So he says here in the verse to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. A metamorphosis, a total change by the renewing of your mind. A total change for the better is what he's talking about here. That is the renewal of our mind. In other words, we're commanded by God after being saved to, on the one hand, not be conformed to the world, but on the other hand, to be transformed in our thinking. Rather than allowing our minds to be shaped by the world and by its values, we are commanded here to switch the channels, if you will, to a higher and a godly plane of thinking, something that is going to be for the better. Godly thought in our mind that is developed by the Word of God. That is the change that God wants to effect in each of His children. We need to remember something here. We are free from the bondage of sin and the flesh as a child of God. We're free in Christ. However, that doesn't mean that we can't be enslaved again. There's something involved in that. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And I want you to look in verse 11 with me. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. So we're set free from the bondage of sin. And yet Paul says, listen, uh, there's, there's something that's going on in here, and, and you're set free from sin, but listen, you have to make the choice to yield yourself and your members to God, lest you be enslaved again to the works of the flesh. The, this flesh will do 
what the mind tells it to do. Let me say it again. Your flesh will do what the mind tells it to do. It's only when the mind is changed and it's brought under the power of God that the flesh can also be brought under the same control. How is that accomplished? Well, it's by surrendering the will to God. He says, yield yourself, yield yourself, yield yourself. By filling the mind with God's word, by ordering one's life after the the commands and the precepts of God's word, by cutting oneself off from the influences that would affect my mind and change my mind, by allowing the Spirit of God to control my mind. That is how... And that's what's required with a surrendered life. Now, there are two things that I want you to note about this. The process of transformation is what we're talking about here. He says, be renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The process of transformation is something that is a lifelong work of God. But it's something that we play a part in. Let me say it again. The process of transformation is a lifelong work of God, but it's something we play a part in. We're not talking about a quick fix or a dramatic, instantaneous change. Some things are dramatic and some things are instantaneous when a person gets saved. But you know what? The work of sanctification in the life is something that is lifelong. And it's something that we play a part in. The verb is in the passive voice indicating that it's a work of God that is in us, but it's also in the imperative mood. And what that means is is that it indicates to us that we are not totally passive in the process. In other words, it is a work of God, but we are not totally passive in the process of it. We're to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We're responsible for what we choose and allow. And the balance in it all is that we rely on Him for the power to do it. Let me just show you a couple of things. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 7, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, but refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now the, the, the command here, and the, the, uh, the, the, what's implied here, is that the responsibility is yours, to exercise yourself unto godliness. The word exercise there, it, it's just how it sounds. It's just what you think it means. It's work, it's exercise, it's something that you're giving yourself to. Uh, and, and the implication says, exercise yourself unto godliness. There's our part that we play. But the balance is, is that we rely on the Lord to do it. Philippians chapter 2 tells us this very thing. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. The Bible says here in Philippians 2 and verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved... As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
And so here we find that God is the one who actually does and accomplishes his will in your life, but it's also contingent upon, and, and it's necessary that we have this yielding of God to do the very thing that he wants to do in our life. It's not as though we just sit there like, okay, I'm just waiting for God to change my mind. I'm waiting for God to transform me. I'm just, well, if I don't, if, if, if I go into sin, it's not my fault. God just didn't do it because I'm just waiting for God to do it. You understand? Yield. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our mind is absolutely the root of it all, and it's transformed by the Word of God. God wants to do and make that complete change in our life, but God does not change our basic personality type in the process. Rather, He changes the sinful manifestations of that personality type. Listen, I'll, I'll give you an illustration of this. Before the Apostle Paul was converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, was the Apostle Paul zealous for God? He absolutely was. He was all out, I'm doing this, even persecuting and even killing Christian people, thinking that he was doing the service of God. He was very zealous. But when he was converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, what do we find about the Apostle Paul? He was still very zealous for the things of God, only it was directed into the right, uh, the right place now because he had been completely changed. But his personality type didn't change. God still used that. But what did happen was, after he was saved, he was still sold out for the Lord, but he mellowed out and he became more gracious as he grew in the Lord. How do we know that? Well, because, let me give you another example. Do you remember uh, in, in Acts when... When Mark abandoned Paul and Barnabas. Do you remember that? And then they came back home and they reported to the church. And they were about ready to go out on the second missionary journey. And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. But Paul said, absolutely not. And there was so much contention between them, so much friction over this issue and over this person that Paul and Barnabas parted ways. And they each went and served the Lord in a different direction. The Apostle Paul didn't want John Mark along because he thought that he was a weakling. He thought that he couldn't handle it. I don't want that person on my team. But later on, at the end of Paul's life, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, bring John Mark when you come, for he's profitable to me in the ministry. I think I just, it, it illustrates that, you know, the Apostle Paul was, as he grew in the Lord, he became more gracious, he became more and more like Jesus Christ himself, and that, that, that fiery God. Uh, all out for the Lord. It didn't change, but his personality or the bad parts of that personality changed uh, in more into the image of Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying is, God is going to use who we are, our personality type, but God's going to take the sandpaper and He's going to smooth off the edges. And He's going to shape us and mold us 
more into the image of Jesus Christ. The challenge here is, <clears throat> and I think it's, it's a good one, because it does test whether or not we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. The challenge is, study the things that are your weaknesses. Study the things that you're prone to, that are faults. Study the things that are the things about you or about your personality type that are the ugly things. What those tendencies are. Maybe you're the type that you got a hair trigger. And as soon as somebody challenges you or, you, or, or you're challenged that you're wrong and some, all of a sudden you start getting huffy under the collar and hot and your face is starting to turn red and you can't bite your tongue. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're one who's prone to depression. And you look at small things like failures that make you less than. Maybe you're something different. Study the things that are weaknesses about you. And if we look at, if, we, if we're not willing to take a look, and we're not willing to take a look at our life, like there, there are parts of me that are, that are ugly. There are parts of me that aren't good. If we're not willing to do that, listen, we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And we're not thinking soberly, and we're not thinking rightly in the grace of God. Study those things and say, you know, <laughs> that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing about my personality or a tendency of mine. It's something that God would want to change in me. He wants to do a total transformation, a total change in my life. And it comes about uh, by the Word of God. And listen, I can't just sit and say, well, I'm just waiting for God to do this for me. No, we have a part to play in this. There's a balance between God doing the work and me yielding myself, and I'm a surrendered life to the Lord. And when those things come up that we are aware of in our life, we can be on guard against those things to work at, by the grace of God, overcoming them. Amen? So God can change me. The process of transformation is something that is lifelong. It's a work of God, but we play a part. The second is the primary source for renewing the mind is the Word of God. Listen, I cannot stress this one enough. The primary source for renewing our mind is the Word of God. If you are saturating your mind with God's Word, it'll change you. If you are not saturating your mind with the Word of God, you will not change for the better. We've got to come to know God as He has revealed Himself in His Word. That's how we need to view God, as He has revealed Himself in His Word. You know, Satan is the master counterfeiter. Satan's always trying to distort our view of God. That's how he got Eve to sin in the Garden of Eden, did he not? He distorted her view of God. He got her thinking to change. He got her thinking to be different, slandering the goodness of God, casting doubt in her mind that God would do as He said He would do. What did God say? Don't eat of this tree, because the day that you eat thereof, you're going to die. And Satan said, 
Are you really going to die? Is God really going to do that? See, what God knows is that you'll be like him. That's why he's telling you to do this. And he does it. And, and so Satan casts the doubt and it changes her thinking. The Bible speaks, friend, to virtually every area of life. Our thinking can get so skewed in things that we start to operate based on how we think and how we feel about things rather than based on what the Bible says about things. And the Bible speaks to virtually every area of life. It speaks to how we should think about trials that come into our life. It speaks to how we should think about success that comes into our life. It speaks to how we should think about relationships that we hold, especially when we've been disappointed or wronged in those relationships. How should we respond? It speaks to how we should think about money and how we should think about possessions. It speaks to what priorities and goals we should adopt in life, what moral standards we should hold to. It speaks to basically every area of life, and that's why the Bible says that God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And where has He given that to us? In His Word. It means that we should have a regular habit of reading through the Word of God, saturating our life with the Word of God over and over and over again to get the balance of the totality of Scripture so that it can direct my thinking, which then directs my acting, which directs my life. It's so important to have our life saturated with the Word of God. We need the balance. Listen, we need to meditate on God's Word and how it applies in my life. I, I was just telling this story to, uh, to some, uh, my Sunday school class this morning. And I was just thinking back uh, on the week, and there was a, a, a point in time in the week when, when, when I was getting myself ready for the day and so on, and I was thinking about a particular subject. And I was thinking actually about the subject of love. What is love? And the way that I think about it is this, and, and what, what illustrates it? What demonstrates love? What does it look like? And so on. But then my mind went to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter. Paul describes what love looks like in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if we could take the time, we'd go over there and read it, we'd see that, that love is kind and, and love is, is not easily provoked and love thinks no evil and love is not puffed up and love endures all things and so on. And we say we love people and we say we love certain things. And I started thinking about the way that I think about it and does it line up with what the Bible says love actually is. Well, then I started thinking about how do I react and how do I respond when I say that I love people. And one of the things that came to my mind was this, that love, real love, godly love, it thinketh no evil. And I was like, you know what? A lot of times I say I love people, but my mind will instantly go to the negative. My, all, something will happen. Instead of giving somebody the benefit of the doubt, instead of, instead of you know, being patient, my mind instantly goes, oh, I know why they did that. I know why they say that. 
My mind instantly goes to the negative. Oh, I, I understand what's going on here. I was like, do I really love people then? My thinking about it needs to change. Something about me needs to change. And see, this is the point of how when we saturate our life with the Word of God and we let the Word of God shape and dictate things, and I'm always comparing myself with what God says and what the Word says, listen, all of a sudden I start to see things a little bit differently. My mind starts to be renewed. Not just my version of it, but what God says it actually is. Do you understand what I mean? I say, oh, I love you. But it's all based on my version of it rather than what God has said, this is what it actually is. You understand what I mean? It applies to every area of life. That's just a simple illustration of how much we need the balance of the Word of God and and let God's Word and meditate on it and how it applies in my life to memorize it so that I can evaluate any, any decision, I can evaluate any situation in light of what the Scriptures say. Without the steady diet of God's Word, you will not change for the better. That's the point. Basically, what the Lord is wanting to do in each of our lives is to get us to think like He does. Be transformed, a total change by the renewing of your mind. So the surrendered life revolves around the worship of God. The surrendered life revolves around the wisdom of God. And lastly, The surrendered life revolves around the will of God. In verse 2, if you go back to Romans chapter 12, the second part of verse 2, I want you to note this. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Having told us the secret to this surrendered life, that it revolves around the worship of God through the sacrifice of our body, through the developing of the mind toward the mind of Christ in all of us. Paul moves on to tell us that the accomplishing of these two things in our life is going to enable us to carry out God's will in a way that is honoring unto Him. Say, oh, I want to do the will of God. Well, there's a way that that happens. First of all, understand the description of the will of God here. And Paul uses three identifying adjectives to describe the will of God. Notice what he says, first of all, that it's good. The will of God is good. Regardless of what the Lord might ask us to do, we're going to find that in the end, it's always, always good. The will of God is good. It's the devil and it's the flesh that would tell us that the Lord's ideas are going to bring problems into the life. But God's never going to ask us to do or command us to do something that is not for our eternal good. We have promises like Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. You remember the bad things that happened to Joseph in Joseph's life? 
horrible things. Well, that's not good. But you know what Joseph said at the end in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20? That those who meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Don't be afraid of the will of God for your life because it's always good. It might look scary on the surface, and I don't know how this is going to happen, and I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know how all this, like, I don't know about that. Don't be afraid of the will of God for your life, because it's always good, even if it's something that you don't necessarily feel like you want to do in the moment. Trust God, because it's going to be good. He says, the will of God is good. Then he says it's acceptable. It has the sense of something that is well-pleasing. In other words, God's will for our life is actually going to be well-pleasing, not just to Him, but also to us. It's not something that we're going to end up hating or just enduring. Like, oh, I've got to serve the Lord. I hate my life well-pleasing. When we surrender and we yield, we find that God is good and that His way is perfect and it's well-pleasing, not just to Him, but also to me. You know what? Somebody who is running from the will of God will never, ever be joyful in their life. Remember Jonah? Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. God said, Jonah, go do this. And Jonah's like, ah, I don't want to do that. And he tried to do his own thing, and look where it got him. But somebody who surrenders and yields, Lord, whatever you want, I present it to you. It's reasonable, it's logical, certainly, for what you've done for me. My mind is being renewed to think like you think. Lord, I'm yours. What we find is that God's will is all of a sudden acceptable. It's well-pleasing. And then thirdly, it's perfect. He said it's the perfect will of God. Nothing we could ever add to God's plan is going to improve it. God's will for our lives is perfect for us. Yours Yours, 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 mine. They might be different, but it's perfect for you. And one can never do better than to determine, all I want to do is just serve the Lord. Whatever God's will for my life is, that's what I want to do. You can't do better than that. But then we see not only the description of God's will, but the demonstration of, of God's will. He says that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. By yielding our bodies and our minds to the Lord, we're able to prove the will of God. You know what the word prove means? It means to live out. That's how you end up living out the will of God for your life, is by a surrendered life and a renewed mind so that you can live out God's perfect and complete will for your life, which ultimately brings Him glory. So, let me wrap it up. The secret to a holy life, a se- the secret to a surrendered life, well, it's yielding our body, letting God have control of our minds, 
our body, and our will. That's the secret. But the question is, does that describe the life that you are living this morning? Is God in absolute control of all that you have and all that you are, body, soul, spirit, mind? Are you surrendered? First of all, are you saved? If you're not saved, you're not surrendered to the Lord. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. But secondly, is your mind being renewed by the transforming power of the Word of God so that the new man, which is created in the image of Christ, is permitted to live on the outside? Thirdly, do you know or have you discovered and have you surrendered to God's perfect will for your life? Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and at the same time, present yourself a used-up sacrifice to the Lord, a surrendered life. Does that describe you? That's God's will for the child of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use your word today. May it be encouraging and challenging at the same time, and may your will be done, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.